Well, amen. Let's look at Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Thank the Lord he's alive. Amen. He's risen out of the grave. Hey, fellows, there's some chairs in the back there. If you need more chairs, you can bring them in and put them down there. Mark chapter 16. I want to share a message entitled Resurrection Instruction. And Mark chapter 16, uh, begin reading in uh, verse 1. It says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and, and Simone uh, had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was, a very, was very great. And entered into the sepulcher, and they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is written, risen, he is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, and tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulchre, for they trembled and were amazed. Uh, neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Now when Jesus was risen early, the first day of the week, he appeared the first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And he went, and she went and told them that uh, had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had seen of her, um, of her believed not. After that, he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. Afterward, he appeared unto the leaven as they sat at meat and upbraided them uh, with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name, shall they cast out devils, and they shall speak with new tongues, and they shall take up serpents, and if any, I'm sorry, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be together this Easter Sunday morning. And uh, we have certainly have enjoyed our time of breakfast and time in Sunday school, and Lord, we've enjoyed special music here in this service, and uh, Lord, we're ready to hear from you. And so, Holy Spirit of God, will you speak to each of us in a special way? There may be someone here who's never been saved, they never believed on Christ, and Lord, they need to receive you as their personal Savior today. And so, Lord, will you speak to their hearts, will you draw them uh, to yourself 
uh, that they might believe and they might be able to leave here knowing they're going to heaven. I pray, Lord, for every believer here this morning that we might just be stirred uh, with hope and, and joy, uh, Lord, excitement about the fact that we don't serve a, living, a dead God, we serve a living God. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd speak to us in a special way this morning. We've come to offer worship and praise of you. And so, Lord, help us to exalt your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text verse is verse 14. It says, Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Resurrection uh, instruction. You know that Jesus has spent many, many hours uh, with his disciples. He spent three years with his disciples as he had his earthly ministry, and he would take time to instruct them uh, in the things of God and certainly in the way of salvation. Uh, he had warned them that there would be a time of persecution that would come. He had given them instructions in reference to what he would have to suffer as he would go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, be crucified, die, be buried, but he would rise again. And uh, he would reveal to them, because of his resurrection, there would be a hope of eternal life. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He had given them hope about eternity and given them hope in reference to the outcome of persecution they would suffer. He was identified by John as the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And when he came into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, he presented himself really as the sacrifice, the Lamb of God that does take away the sins of the world. He would die on the cross as a means of fulfilling the requirement of the sacrificial lamb that his blood might be shed that we might have an atonement for our sins. But he had promised that after he would be crucified and he would die that he would rise again. And now it's the first day of the week and as it's the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and Mary come in unto the tomb with spices in hand, ready to anoint the body of Christ. And as they come to the tomb, the stone is rolled away, and there's an angel there that meets with them and confirms to them that Jesus is alive, and they need, she, they need to go and tell the disciples that he's alive, just like he said he would do. He rose out of the grave. The amazing thing is that when they come, the disciples don't believe them. And I often wonder when I read passages of, like that, how many times we're willing to read the word of God, but then we don't believe what it says. And uh, Jesus was very specific and very direct about what would take place when he would be crucified. And now that it's taking place, uh, they can't believe it. And Jesus meets with them, it says in our text verse, and he upbraids them. He rebukes them because of their unbelief and the hardness of their heart. And so, uh, and without faith, it says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And I believe the instruction that Jesus gives in all four of the Gospels and his as he arose out of the grave is good instruction for us to build our faith around and to be assured of the fact that Jesus is alive and because he's alive, it makes a difference in the world. It makes a difference in our lives. 
And uh, for 27 years of my life, I went to Sunday school in the church, but no one ever told me how to be saved. They never told me how to trust Christ as my Savior. And when I was 27 years old, I heard for the first time how to believe on Christ and trust Him and that He would save me and He would make me anew. And I'm thankful that I did not disbelieve the message, but I believed what the Word of God had revealed and I received Christ as my Savior and became a child of God. And I want you to know because Jesus is alive, you can have new life through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give you life abundantly. And so we can live an abundant life through faith in Christ, not just living on the face of this earth, but the reality that there's a home in heaven awaiting for us when we depart from this life. And so resurrection instructions. What can we learn from the things that Jesus said to his disciples when he met with them when he arose? First of all, I see there's a clear com a command in Matthew chapter 28, I'm just going to look at Matthew and Luke and John where Christ is talking to his disciples after they arose. But there's a clear command which gives us a real mandate. Jesus Christ, who has died for the sins of the world and was buried and rose again, now comes to his disciples. And in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then in verse 17, it says, when, uh, verse 18, it says, When Jesus spake, came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And so a clear command that gives a real mandate of what the Christian life is supposed to be about. What was the response of the disciples that Christ was desiring them to do? Now notice it involved an encompassing power. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And I believe when we talk about the mandate that God gives us in living the Christian life, and sharing our faith with others is based upon the fact that God is the one who has all power, that he gives that power to us. We know that I can, you know, Paul said this, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. The power of God to rest upon us. An encompassing power that gives us confidence to preach. It's amazing to me that the apostle Peter was hiding when Jesus was being interrogated uh, he was denying the Lord and refusing to acknowledge the fact that he was one of his disciples. I mean, he pricked his heart so deeply when Jesus came out of the judgment hall. It says that he looked at Peter and Peter went out and wept bitterly. This man who was cowering in the shadows, this man who was denying his Savior, this man who was fearing for his life, when Jesus arose and spoke to him, had confidence to have power to stand up and preach. On the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, in verse 41, he would stand up and preach the word of God with great power, and 3,000 souls would be saved. I'm just saying this, that God gives us a mandate. And the mandate is based upon a very clear command in the scriptures that, wait a minute, you are to go out 
and preach the gospel to every creature. And so the encompassing power is we don't live our Christian life in man's abilities. We live our Christian life in the power of God Almighty. Jesus said this, without me, you can do nothing. Oftentimes we think, well, I'm a pretty strong person or I can figure it out or I'm a pretty smart person. The reality is without Christ, you can't do a thing. You wouldn't be sitting here this morning breathing if it wasn't for God giving you breath in your lungs. There's not one thing you can do without the presence of God. And so the encompassing power of Christ gives us confidence to proclaim, not just preach in the pulpit, but share the good news with others uh, that they might know how to be saved. But there's also conviction unto salvation. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter would stand up with great confidence in front of the Israelites and those that were uh, literally had demanded the crucifixion of Christ, he would stand up and preach with great power. But it was the conviction of God that came upon men and women that they got saved. You know, without the Holy Spirit moving and the Holy Spirit power, men and women cannot get saved. And uh, you can't get saved of your own will and your own volition. It requires a touch and a pull of God that is designed by the Spirit of God, that is a power of God that overwhelms us and convicts us and moves us to trust Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And so it's an encompassing power. I think this Easter day, we ought to remember the power of God that we need upon ourselves in able to live the Christian life and be a witness and testimony to others. And so I see there's an encompassing power that was promised. There is an evangelism practice in verse 19. He says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And so notice the broad opportunity. He said, go into all nations. Uh, this morning, I think we really do need to be reminded that God is not willing that any should perish. That Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. And I'm thankful John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I'm thankful that God's not willing that any should perish. And Jesus died for every individual on the face of this earth. I don't care what background you have. I don't, I don't care what religious experience you may have. I just know this, that the, the command that God gave that established a real mandate among believers in Christ where we were to go to every nation telling them who Jesus Christ is, a broad opportunity to be able to reach out to others. God is not slack. It says in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. I'm glad that God was patient for 27 years and touched my soul and saved me, amen? You say, how long will God wait? He's still waiting if you're not saved this morning. He's still longing for you to come to him and believe to the saving of your soul. There's multitudes of people around the world that are lost, and without Christ, they're on their way to hell. This morning, around the world, churches, Christian churches, have been bombed because of people against Christ. But God wants them saved also. 
You say, what's the answer for the world today? What is the answer for the problems that we're facing in this world? I'll tell you what it is. We're neglecting the opportunity God's given us to evangelize the lost and bring them to Christ. There's a clear command that gives a real mandate to go out in the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Notice it's also a narrow obligation. He said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He didn't say baptizing them in the name of some denomination. He didn't say baptizing them in the name of some movement. He didn't say baptizing them in the name of some religious leader. He said baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so the real evangelism that is practiced, that comes from the mandate of Jesus Christ, it establishes a narrow way. Jesus said, broad is the way that it goes to destruction. But he said, narrow is the way that leads to life eternal. I just want you to know this morning, Jesus arose out of the grave as the only God the only Savior that can deliver mankind, and he established his, the way of evangelism. Notice, not only is there an encompassing power, an evangelism practice, but there's edification performed. Notice in verse 20 of Matthew 28, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Notice the comprehensive instruction, observing all things. You know, a lot of people, there's people always out here them say, well, you know, you have to understand, this is the church age. We're in the New Testament. We don't talk about the Old Testament. Well, wait a minute. I thought he said all things. Uh, who, who has the right to pick and choose? Nobody has the right to pick and choose. The mandate from Christ was that we are to edify one another, we're to encourage one another, we're to build one another up with comprehensive instruction from the Word of God, teaching every principle that is in the Scriptures that man might learn how to live according to the will of God. Notice it's a comforting reminder. He says, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. The interesting thing is, is Matthew chapter 1 starts out with Jesus, what would, his, what would his name be called? His name would be Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which being interpreted, is God with us. So Matthew starts out stating that Jesus is the God who would be with us. And when Jesus died on the cross before he ascended into heaven, he reminded the disciples, I'm the God that will be with you. And I just want to know this this morning is that the mandate of God is a mandate that comforts my soul because he has promised he will never leave me or never depart from me. He is ever with me. You say, I just don't feel like I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm alone. I just feel like I'm winning. I feel like I'm on a losing side. Wait a minute. You and God make a majority and you're on the winning side with Jesus Christ. A clear mandate. Notice A.B. Simpson. I think I put it on the slide, did I? Yeah, I did. A.B. Simpson said this, A Christian is not obedient unless he's doing all in his power to send the gospel to the heathen world. It's interesting when somebody is coming to the end of their life. I like to listen to what people have to say. And Jesus, just prior to his ascending into heaven, 
gives a mandate to mankind, to his disciples, that we are to live in light of the power of God, evangelizing the lost that they might be saved, and edifying one another for the glory of God. And uh, I want to listen to what he has to say just before he went into heaven, amen, and respond to what he has said. So there's a clear command which gives us a real mandate. Look over in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Notice there's clear counsel that establishes a real manifestation of Christ. In Luke chapter 24, Luke 24 and verse 38. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye any here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. Clear counsel that reveals man, a real manifestation. In other words, the revealing of who he is. Notice, first of all, that doubts are diminished. And he says, why are ye troubled, and why do thoughts arise in your heart? You know, when they had considered all that had taken place and all that had happened in the crucifixion of Christ, it is very easy for them to start and doubting and wondering, was he the son of God? Did things actually take place the way they, they did take place? Will he arise out of the grave as he said he would rise out of the grave? Very quickly, they start doubting and wondering uh, what, what Jesus did and what would be accomplished. And so as he doubts diminish emotionally, he overcomes our emotional distresses because he is alive. At John chapter 11, when Jesus is at the tomb of Lazarus, it's interesting that he comes and he talks with Mary and Martha, and as he talks with them, they're weeping and they're, they're troubled because their brother has died. And they even questioned Jesus, if you had been here, he would not have died. They were confident of that, and, and yet Jesus informs them he was glad that he wasn't there because he was going to show them something greater in reference that he was the resurrection and the life. And you don't have to worry about dying if you're in Christ Jesus. And, but in John chapter 11 and verse 33, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. Don't ever forget this this morning. Because Jesus arose, he comes and he questions their troubledness in their heart, the disquiet spirit that they have, because they have doubts that are building up and emotionally he is moved by their trouble. And God is moved by the trouble that we go through. And in verse 34, and he said, where have they laid him? And they said unto him, come and see. And Jesus wept. And then you get down into verse 42 and 43. It says, and when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, 
and his face was bound about with a napkin, and Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. What a great statement. Loose him and let him go. Because Jesus arose, I can be released from my worries and my fears. Because Jesus arose, doubts diminish in my life because of the reality of a living God who emotionally is connected with the reality of what I'm suffering and going through. And so their doubts were diminished. Notice in this resurrection of Christ, his, there's a body that is demonstrated. Back in Luke chapter 24 and verse 39, he says, Behold my hands and my feet, it, it, uh, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see me have. You know, there's those that don't believe that Jesus rose in a body, but Jesus Christ came out of the grave in a body. It was not a spiritual resurrection. It was not, listen, it was not a reviving of a body that had passed out because of the pain and the torture it was going through. Jesus Christ died in his body and his body was buried and for three days it lay in the grave and three days later he demonstrates to them his power over life and death. He says, no man takes my life from me, but I lay it down and take it up again of myself. And what does he do to confirm that? He says, here's my body. Look at my hands. Look at the wound in my side. A spirit has not wounds in its hands. A spirit has not flesh on it. I'm showing you my body. And so as just as much as there is a real manifestation of emotional, emotionally, there's a real manifestation physically as he presents his body before them. You know, the disciples who were fearing for their lives that were cowering into a corner became bold for the Lord because they witnessed and experienced the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. So bodily demonstration. There's a word described in this chapter, in Luke chapter 24. In verse 45, it says, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. I'm always touched by the reality that spiritually speaking, that we are always moved spiritually and we experience a spiritual move of God in our life based on the word of God that is described. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Just as important as he diminishes their doubts emotionally, he demonstrates his body physically, he encourages them and describes to them his word spiritually. God wants us to grow in grace and in truth. He wants us to have a spiritual encounter with a living God. Now, you have to trust Christ as your Savior and no one else. C.S. Lewis said this, A dead Christ I must do everything for. A living Christ does everything for me. So you see, man in his sin likes to have his God under control. Man in his sin likes to establish his gods that he can manipulate. 
Man in his sins likes to have his idols that he can bow down to because he can move them around and make them whatever he wants them to be. But the reality is for the Christian, we serve a living God, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing that I have to do to help him, but everything that I need, he helps me with. And so he is a living God who lives evermore and stands in intercession for me at the throne of God. So it's a clear counsel. That it's a real manifestation of all that Christ is to us. Ravi Zechariah said this, The cross of Christ only triumphs in the breast of believers over the devil and the flesh, sin and sinners, when their eyes are directed to the power of his resurrection. If you don't believe in the literal, bodily, resurrected Savior, you're in trouble. Because your faith is in vain. If you don't believe in a a God who sent his son into this world, that he might die and be buried and rise again, your soul, your spirit is in jeopardy of eternal damnation. Because the only effectiveness of the cross of Jesus Christ is that he died on that cross, he bore our sin on that cross, He shed his blood on that cross to atone for our sins and he buried his body dead into the grave. But hallelujah, he arose and because he arose, it makes the cross a place of triumph because it did not destroy or hinder Christ from living again. Resurrection instruction. We have a clear command that gives us real mandate. We have clear counsel that gives us a real manifestation of who Christ is. But then there is also a clear consolation that gives us a real motivation. In John chapter 20, so we read in Mark, we looked at Mark, uh, Matthew, we looked at Luke, and now we got to look at John. Amen. Don't worry, we're getting to the end. You'll be all right. John chapter 20. Those of you who ate breakfast, I'm proud of you. haven't fallen asleep yet. Amen. That's great. John chapter 20. In uh, verse 19, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. When he had said so, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. I imagine they were pretty glad. Amen. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so I send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. A couple of things here. I see an example that was established. Notice in verse 21, it says, Peace be unto you, as my Father sent me, even so send I you an example. You know, Jesus never did anything or gave command for any of us to do anything that he has not already done himself. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's why he came into this world. And so the real motivation that I have for living my Christian life and being a testimony for the Lord and trying to share my faith with others is not because I want to to build a big church. Not because I want to be influential in people's lives. It's because Jesus already gave me an example how you're supposed to live the Christian life. Yes, sir. 
Jesus said, you're to do as I have done unto you. And the amazing thing is that everything that we're supposed to be as a Christian is laid out not just as a testimony instruction in scriptures, but by a lived out example of Christ for us. And so there's an example established. There's enabling experience. Notice in uh, verse 22 and 23, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And then he says, Whosoever uh, sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. And so the enabling experience of God is based upon the Holy Spirit of God that is given to us. I'm thankful that John said that, oh, uh, that Jesus, when he would come, would baptize us with fire and the Holy Ghost. And Jesus, before he departed out of this life and ascended up on high, he breathed on his disciples and commanded them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. The enabling of God is God giving us the Holy Ghost. You know, when you get saved, we're all baptized by one spirit into the body of Christ. That's the Holy Spirit of God that takes residence in us when we get saved. And the enabling of God is to be able to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. And so clear consolation it gives motivation. What motivates us? What, what motivates us to be a Christian? What motivates you to live a life that's contrary to the world? What motivates you to live a life to, in the eyes of others who deny Christ and refuse Christ, look or a reproach against you? What causes those throughout history who have lived their life for Christ and died a life of martyrdom? What causes them to do that? Why would they do that? How would they live that? What was the real manifestation? It was we have the example of Christ and we have the enabling of Christ through the Holy Spirit of God in us. And then there's an encouragement energized. In verse 27, as Jesus meets with Thomas, he reaches hither his hand. He says, "Here's, put your finger into my hands. And he tells him to thrust his hand into his side. And Thomas's response was that he fell down in verse 28 and said, my Lord and my God. An encouragement energized because of the reality of Christ being alive. And uh, we must, we must see Jesus as the resurrected Savior or else we're not motivated to live for him. Listen, there's enough discouraging things we gotta deal with in life. There's enough that we have to go through. There's enough reasons that we can come up with to justify just saying, forget it, I'm not gonna be a Christian. I'm not gonna live the Christian life. But wait a minute. Jesus has already lived his life and offered himself for you on Calvary. He provided a way for you to be saved. He has given you his Holy Spirit. He has laid down his life and rose out of the grave and sent it up on high that you might look to him. Titus 2.13 says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our, the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. What is the real motivation in your life? Is looking up. You look at what's going on around us, it will discourage you and defeat you. But look up to Jesus, amen. The trumpet of God is going to sound. You say, how do you know what the Bible tells me it's going to happen? Jesus said, when you see these things, look up. Stop.
Stop looking at the world. Stop looking down mouth at everything that's going on around you. Start looking to Jesus. He is our hope. He arose and he ascended on high and he has promised that he's coming again to take us into glory. Amen. Easter is a day to remind us to get motivated and fired up and excited because Jesus Christ has fulfilled every promise that he gave us in the book. Because he lives, we too shall live. You realize this morning that you are just as much in heaven right now where you're sitting as you will be one day. Why? Because there's nothing that can take heaven away from you. Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Jesus gave resurrection instruction. When he arose out of the grave, all four of the Gospels, all four of the Gospels, he gives instruction in reference to how to live the Christian life and why to live the Christian life. And then he gives an example to how to fulfill the Christian life. And listen, you are more than conquerors through him that loved you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. I don't care what's coming against you. If God before us, who can stand against us? I don't care. I remember old Dr. Sanafa point years ago, Haitian pastor talking to him. His life was being threatened. And he just told those that were threatened to take his life from him. He said, oh, you kill me? Go ahead. You kill me, I win. How can you lose with Jesus? You can't lose with Jesus. Because in Jesus, he possesses life eternal in and of himself. And what we enjoy in reference to eternity is the reality of a risen Savior. Hallelujah, he's alive and he lives forevermore. You might be here this morning, you might not know Christ as your Savior. We're going to sing a song here in a moment. And while we're singing that song, we'd love to be able to just take a Bible and open it up and show you how to trust Christ as your Savior. You can have joy unspeakable and full of glory. You can have the peace of God that passes all understanding. You can have the hope of eternal life if you just receive Christ as your Savior. Don't, don't, don't live a life that's under the rebuke of God. Live a life that's under the blessing of God. You can come while we're singing. You can come and we'll take the time to show you how to trust Christ as your Savior. And you can walk out this door knowing you're going to heaven. As a Christian, maybe you've been floundering in your Christian life. You might need to come and just kneel here in the altar. I know there's been times in my life where just, I just needed to kneel in the altar of God and just talk to the Lord for a little bit. And just tell him, Lord, I know you're alive. I understand that I have new life in you, but God, I'm floundering right now. I need some help right now. I need my emotions stable right now. God, I need you to do something in my life. Just come and talk to God for a little bit in the altar and let the Lord do something miraculous in your life. Why? Because he is the one that has made these promises to us. We do not have to be defeated. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this clear instruction that you've given, clear counsel that you've given to us. And pray, Lord, if there's anyone not saved right now, Holy Spirit, touch their heart. Speak to them right now, Holy Spirit of God. Speak to them. Tell them you're not saved. You know you're not saved. 
you need to go receive Christ as your Savior. Convict them, bring them to the cross of Christ. Lord, I pray for believers this morning. You might stir their life with hope, with joy, with peace, with excitement. You'd give them real motivation again, a real move of God again in their life. Lord, I pray you'd work your perfect will in each of us. Oh, how we long for Jesus to be glorified. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's